Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Sammy Roberts and I'm joined today by Matthew Castle. Hello. How's it going, Matthew? Are you well? Uh, it's going fine. If uh, people could see the truly ludicrous setup we are using to uh, record this, or rather I'm using to record my end of this, uh, you'd see that it's basically a huge pile of jumpers masquerading as a sound studio. It looks like some child has built a kind of like shelter away from like an alien invasion in their uh, <laughs> living room. Um, but that's very much the vibe I'm going for. <laughs> um, well, I respect it. Uh, so um, this is a new podcast, obviously, if you're listening to this for the first time. Hello. Uh, me and Matthew have known each other for a few years. We've got a similar background of working in games, media, print. Uh, we've both worked in online subsequently, but that's the sort of like... Uh, the, the thing we've spent the most of our career doing and so for a while we've talked about doing a podcast that's kind of about uh that sort of thing and video games through that prism i suppose and the um the other thing was that recently i saw a twitter sort of rant saying can someone please recommend me a podcast that's not just two guys chatting but like poor production values badly edited and i thought i'm gonna make that podcast <laughs> yes it is <laughs> at last it's two white guys talking about their slightly wonky memories of working in video games i mean what yeah i mean uh, wow is the world ready for it i mean uh, the thing is that we uh we definitely have to kind of point that out up front that we're definitely aware of our limitations and and down the line sort of we'll, we'll look at getting guests in as well to vary up the perspectives for sure but yeah me and matthew are good friends so we thought this would be a cool thing to talk about and uh, so in this episode we thought we'd start with the big thing going on in games right now which is of course the launch of the next generation consoles xbox series x and ps5 both of which launched in november are available now well in theory they're available now um, you can't <laughs> buy one but you know in a world where there's more stock available you you may be able to but um you may also end up with a five kilogram bag of rice <laughs> yeah, <laughs> instead or... of a console i had planned to do this hilarious bit on this podcast where i talked about how much i'm enjoying my ps5 and then as i talked about it it became obvious that it was actually a bag of rice um but i think it's a bit of a sore point for people and i kind of focus tested it on twitter and it didn't it didn't seem to land particularly <laughs> well so i've decided not to do it today well that's the kind of level of effort we're going to put into this podcast yeah. a b joke testing like to see will you laugh at this um so yeah I, I thought that's what we could kick off with uh, matthew is they are launching these consoles sony and microsoft in a pandemic year um it's been a bit of a weird year in terms of promoting them um how have you kind of found that whole publicity cycle of console reveal to to launch yeah I mean, it's been an interesting year i'd say for myself particularly because you know i feel like i've been approaching this whole thing as a punter again because for the first time you know i haven't i haven't been working on a magazine covering any of these particular launches so i've only absorbed them as you know as they have been presented to the public um which i guess is the same for you um yeah and uh yeah like it doesn't feel quite as exciting when the information is delivered to you from phil spencer's wife's office um <laughs> which is kind of the vibe they've gone for. I mean, I know some people find the the whole E3 thing quite obnoxious, but it is quite, you know, there is a long tradition of people presenting these things and, and debuting a console is such a, a key part of the kind of console hype cycle and experience that it can't help but feel quite muted. I mean, I think the the hunger for something bigger probably manifested most when they did the first uh, big ps5 reveal and do you remember how everyone was watching it and 
there was like this instant rumor formed that all the <laughs> developers saw in the video were actually being like digital models being played on PS5. Yeah. Like I, I think that's the kind of like drama and that's the kind of like big kind of theatrical moment people look for and they just there wasn't really one you know we all had to watch everything and we had to watch them through streaming services that don't actually present the games in the high visual quality that they're being sold on which is kind of preposterous you know it's like do you want to see a really low res video of a high res feature and you're like not really (laughs) yeah i think it's uh, it's been a weird year for sure i think microsoft kind of made an early mistake with um saying we're going to reveal the first Xbox Series X gameplay, and it was like Dirt 5 and then a kind of bunch of other smaller games, and people went into that thinking there was going to be more. And I think Sony capitalized on that by, in that June event they had, just going all out by saying, right, these are the games we're making. Um, Here's what the console looks like, which is a big surprise when it happened. And uh, yeah, I think that it's um, it's made for a strange year. You've had no moments like that Keanu Reeves uh, appearance at the Xbox (laughs) conference last year. And whatever you think of um, E3 as a kind of idea, if it's outdated or whatever, and that gets talked about a lot, um, it was quite. It does create moments like that, and um, does make gaming the kind of center of. Uh, the world's attention for like one week and i think you you have definitely lost that this year for sure mm. there wasn't that uh, special moment where they say and everyone's got one of them under their chair um <laughs> which i think they did with well, i think it was connect or something one year um but i guess you couldn't do it this year because the playstation 5 is literally the size of a bungalow so actually kind of hiding them away would have been an unlikely and unreasonable request yeah i mean you've had to file the kind of like journalism kind of like impartiality rules a spreadsheet you'd be like okay this is 450 quid of stuff you have to import it from the u.s to the uk which would be a nightmare <laughs> yeah, really we were spared all of that uh those headaches um but i'm kind of curious so it's i think the the consoles have struggled to differentiate themselves much beyond the beyond the um the exclusive games in terms of feature set they've ended up looking quite similar to me uh from the outside looking in i'm not sure most people would know the real, real difference between the ps5 and the xbox series x on paper the xbox is more powerful um but i don't think most people care about that when it comes to actually making a purchasing decision um so yeah i was kind of curious what you thought of um the differences between the consoles like uh, do you think they're different enough going into this generation I mean, I th- I th- it's a tricky question because there's the difference between the two consoles, which you think is the obvious question. But I actually think that the, the weird question, particularly with the Series X, is how much it continues Xbox One, um, which I didn't really appreciate how much of a continuation console it's going to be. You know, they've always talked up the back compat stuff. So, you know, actually, it feels like you're weighing PlayStation 5 against xbox one like a more powerful xbox one rather than a new machine the fact that it has the same interface the fact that that interface was introduced to xbox one before the series x came out that's quite an odd hard thing to kind of get your head around a hard thing to get excited about you know like you get a you know the 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 series x you know it's beautifully packaged and it's you know it's very well presented in the box but when you plug it in it looks like you know the experience you're used to uh, which instantly like took me out. I'm just by dint of PlayStation Five having a new like face on it. You know, when you turn it on, hmm. instantly felt like, oh, this is new. You know, regardless of the of the specs or you know how new they actually are, the PlayStation Five I think plays by the rules of a of a new console a bit better. Yeah. Um, 
also the controller i guess but we'll probably talk a bit about that later yes the controller is a it's a very fair shout and i think the interface thing is a is worth pointing out because yeah the um this is the interface that xbox rolled out early this year i believe um yeah. so when you turn on the console ostensibly it, it feels very similar um and yeah I, I suppose it depends what your expectations are in terms of what a next-gen console should provide but it's true that when you turn on the ps5 the ui feels very different to uh, the ps4 um yeah, there's an immediately a slightly different vibe. Uh, but yeah, so in terms of us getting the consoles, Matthew, I've bought a PS5. I've spent a bit of time with it. Um, how about you? You've got both of them, right? Yeah, so I, I've bought a PS5 and I have experienced the Series X um, through one being in our house for work-related issues with my wife. So um, I've conveniently dabbled with that to, to get a feel for it. Mm. Um, I did, did plan to buy one, but, uh, you know... Oh, it sounds terribly corrupt now, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but now I don't have PS5, to. So I think that's legit. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, my wife has my wife has acquired me an Xbox Series X. Yeah, it's not mine. It's hers. It's not hers. It's her works. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's everyone's. It's very. It's communal. It's nice. If Microsoft wants it back, you have to send it back immediately. Um, yeah, there is that. We yeah. live in fear of that. In which case, I will buy one. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious what you kind of made of the console so far. So for me, the Xbox was uh, it was it was not a no brainer purchase because I have a PC and everyone kind of knows that PC gaming uh, Microsoft is more focused on it these days. It has Game Pass for PC. It has started releasing all of its games on PC simultaneously with Xbox. It's been doing that for a few years now. So to me, it didn't feel like other than the appeal of potentially playing Shadows of the Damned in 8K um, <laughs> via EA Game Pass or whatever it is. They've um, just rolled those into one. Uh, I didn't really see the need to buy an Xbox Series X. Um, and I think that Microsoft is like becoming more platform agnostic. They're more about you know services, uh, subscription, getting you to sign up to Game Pass. Whereas I quite like that the PS5 is a traditional console in a lot of ways. These are the games. You can't, you can't play them on Game Pass you know you just you have to buy them um but it does feel like more of a clean break like you say like what do you make of them so far yeah i i i'd i'd agree with with most of that i mean the the you know the appeal of the xbox is you bring all the games with you and they they play up the the back compat thing and i have had fun with that you know i i think it's unfortunate that i i play games you know uh quite quickly i consume them quite greedily when they come out so it's not like i'm sitting on a huge pile of things that i want to revisit again and and see them reborn but i have been kind of tinkering with the the library on game pass and seeing how things play and how they stack up and you know where they are improved or you know your your loading times are gone or you know they've they've tweaked them in various you know they've upgraded some of their games to run a bit better um you know that that stuff has been sort of impressive but it is just old games there isn't an amazing new showcase although i have uh, only just started playing uh, tetris effect connected uh, which i didn't play any of tetris effects back when it came out on psvr and pc mm. um and you know for me they've they're kind of treating it like an xbox launch game because it's this connected version that's actually really good the multiplayer and it's it's is properly special um where you play all this mad kind of individual games of tetris that morph into this big co-op game and that's 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 pretty magic i wouldn't say it's a system seller if you buy spend 450 quid for new tetris um that's kind of i don't i don't see many people doing that um 
Yeah, and PlayStation, again, just because it has a couple of things I haven't seen. Um, I think the actual uh, the controller demo thing, the Astro's Playroom, mm. um, is probably the thing like feels most next-gen, just because a lot of the experiences in it literally couldn't exist anywhere else. Mm. Whereas with uh, Spider-Man, you know, I know that, that can be on PS4, and I've been having fun with um, Miles Morales, but it's... It is very like, you know, I've only just played the original Spider-Man on PS4 and it's very, very similar. So it doesn't feel like a massive leap. And uh, well, I don't know. Have you tried the performance mode on that? Yes. So I think that Miles Morales, it does look a lot nicer than the PS4 one, I think. And that's partly because they got these ray tracing uh, reflections and stuff to make the kind of, I don't know, when you're running against a window, it looks really nice in New York. But yes, they... um, one of the uh, sort of extensions of um, a, an idea they had with the PS4 Pro and the Xbox uh, One X is that you can choose between visual fidelity and um, performance mode in some games. Uh, Miles Morales Spider-Man is one of those games. And uh, yeah, I would say performance mode, playing that game at 60 frames per second, it makes the web swimming feel a lot better um, yeah. and the combat feel a lot better. And it already felt really good. So I, I personally find that. Upgrade. Yeah, I, I, meaningful. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on like ray tracing as a thing because it's such a, a huge kind of power glut, you know. And and it's, uh, I don't know that what you get in exchange for that, you know, that power payout is particularly worth it for me. You know, like reflections don't massively change mm. like my perception of something. Like I'm, I'm, I'm impressed by any reflection in any game because i you know i don't really know how any of it works and even if it's like a tree in in an assassin's creed game and it's reflected as like a, a mountain in a river i'm still like mm, reflections um because you know I'm, I'm very easily won over by shiny things you know like i it, it was quite telling with watchdogs legion on um xbox series x like we we didn't know if if the ray tracing had been patched in and we were trying to work out if it had and i was showing it to catherine and and saying like oh look at this you know do you look at the ray tracing she was like that's not ray tracing but to my eyes you know the reflections were accurate enough so that that stuff doesn't really do it for me but the but the frame rates are uh they are like important or not important but they they have them that's a much bigger leap for me um and going back to some of the older games which have been given like high frame rate modes that to me feels a lot more next gen i mean you put me on to um the ghost of tsushima update mm. um and that game's like it, it looked nice before but it's it's pretty amazing you know when it's all flowing particularly considering it's got this like wind element you know which kind of ruffles the environment and to see that moving all at 60 frames really brings that idea to life mm. Yeah, I, w- I um, completely agree with you. I think that the fact that some of these games, like Ghost of Tsushima, Days Gone, God of War, um, I think God of War's case, it already had a performance mode on PS4 Pro, but the other yeah. two have been patched specifically to run the games at a higher frame rate. That, to me, is like, that's kind of what I want from next gen, because I haven't finished either of those games. And, um, and so I'm quite excited to play them with these kind of upgrades, especially because Ghost of Shima, when I did play it, I was a little disappointed there was no option for 60 frames on PS4 Pro. Right. Um, and so on PS5 to have it day one's a real treat. Um, I think if I've got one um, major criticism for Sony, it's that they've been so late in their messaging for how backwards compatibility works that 
it's a bit inconsistent the way that some developers of their major exclusives have produced like high frame rate modes and others haven't um yeah and it seems like microsoft's been very good at marshalling one you know everyone like sea of thieves devs at rare and halo master chief collection and uh, gears 5 forza all that stuff is all ready on day one to run as well as it can on next gen um, and yeah. sony's just not done it in the same with the same consistency and i don't know why but it's a shame because I, it's such an easy way to show off i don't know if it's easy resource wise but it's an easy way to show off what the console can do yeah i i wonder if like cynically it spells out that that there is going to be quite a few sort of cases of spider-man remastered mm. where actually they're like well this thing is in demand so much that we can probably bundle in a remastered horizon zero dawn with the next horizon and we can probably ask you know they they remastered the last of us from playstation 3 to playstation 4 which is arguably the kind of upgrade you are naturally seeing with the free patches for sashima and days gone mm. and they have charged you for that in the past um so uh, you know that uh, i th- i think they've got form for wanting to like squeeze as much money out of these games as possible where i think you know the big difference with microsoft is they have firmly established themselves as the kind of friend of the back compact you know they don't see it as a remaster they see it as a taking old games and polish them up you got to remember like you know when when back compact uh, xbox og xbox and and 360 came to uh, Xbox One and Xbox One X, uh, they were updating like original Xbox games to play in like 4K, mm. and you know that show. I think that just shows a totally different kind of philosophy. If 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 Sony was doing what they did with Tsushima for every game, that would be like a, a, an amazing showcase, an amazing act of generosity. But I've, I'm just feeling the games that don't have them seem to be things which have ties to future games, and you know they've done it with Spider Man you can sort of see a timeline where they do it again with with horizon zero dawn yeah i think you're probably right about that it's something i wondered about but then i would have thought that god of war would have marked the same kind of game that they would do that for and also the other difference is that the um ps3 notoriously difficult to develop for as a console and so when those games were brought over to ps4 part of it was because there was no backwards compatibility between the two machines so you could justify it more on that level um, whereas now I think that if you bought The Last of Us Part 2 a few months ago and it runs on the hardware you just bought, um, I don't know, you're not, it's not your right to have um, have an upgraded copy of it, but it's just it, it, it's weird that some devs are doing it and some aren't, and that lack of consistency is just a bit strange, I think. Um, whereas, yeah, but again, I don't even know if Sony would be doing this, That's, this is my guess, if Microsoft hadn't had such form with backwards compatibility um during this previous generation because you know we'll talk about this a bit later on but last generation backwards compatibility was not part of the conversation in any way shape or form when it came to the last uh, generation console launches so it's become a bit of a battleground for the two of them you know yeah it's quite an unsexy battleground yeah you know because it's sort of oh you know it's old battles being refought and you know, I like the idea that you have this games collection, you can bring it with you, but it's not like 100%. I mean, you know, the Xbox message isn't as clean as everything that you've ever owned from Xbox will run on the Series X. That's not the case. Mm. You know, there is a limited list of OG games. There is a limited list of 360 games that worked on Xbox One. All those make the move to Series X. But it's not quite, 
you know, the knockout punch for either of them, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and it has bugged me that I've had to, like, I've literally had to watch Digital Foundry videos to understand what the back compat offerings are on both of them, which feels like a huge failure of messaging for something which probably a huge amount of work to actually get it working. Yeah, I think that's, um, I definitely think that Sony's more in the wrong for that than Microsoft, yeah. just because Microsoft were very clear from early on that if there's a game that runs on your Xbox One now, it will run on Xbox Series X as well, because they've been building all these emulation profiles for these games, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, um, obviously, on PS4, it's been it's just been a bit more ad hoc and strange. They kind of had Mark Cerny, um, the chief architect, I think he is, of um, PS4. And to- Mac. <laughs> you talk about um yeah talk about that at the start with that very weird conference at gdc time where they pretended there was an audience there but there were like three people there because it was <laughs> early lockdown um and he talked about like uh oh yeah 90 percent of games are going to run the top 100 games will run really well and they didn't really say much about it until very close to launch and so it's all been a bit of a weird surprise um mm. like a good surprise in the case of those patch games but uh but yeah um so a kind of a in terms of the launch games, Matthew, I think that this is something where Microsoft has dropped the ball. I don't necessarily think it's their fault because I think moving Halo is probably a very difficult decision. Halo Infinite meant to come out this year alongside the Xbox Series X and Series S, which we haven't mentioned, actually, the other uh, next-gen hardware from uh, Microsoft that's cheaper and less powerful, but still very powerful for uh, what it costs. Um, and meanwhile, I think Sony actually has a really good little lineup Um Spider-Man's a very, very much a safe pair of hands type exclusive um, that you know people will want to buy on day one. And um, as you mentioned, Astro's Playroom, which comes bundled with every console, that shows off the hardware incredibly well in yeah. terms of what the controller can do. Mostly the controller, I would say. But it's just a fantastic 3D platformer in a kind of Mario vein. I think you made that comparison. Um, and then there's been a, a Sackboy game that's a, apparently quite a lot like uh, Mario 3D World on the Wii U. Um, as a kind of co-op 3D. I'll believe it, I'll believe it when I play it, Sam. <laughs> and then uh, there's one other one that I've forgotten the name of. What's the other one? Uh, Demon Souls? Oh, yeah. The remake of Demon Souls by Bluepoint Games, the um, remake specialists uh, who also did uh, Metal Gear Solid HD Collection, the Shadow of the Colossus remake for PS4. Um, so what do you think of those two lineups and how they compare? <laughs> I like the two lineups. Heck, there isn't an Xbox lineup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, they've kind of been leaning on Yakuza to sell the Xbox, which yeah, is that's wild. Yeah, I mean, that's weird. I mean, it's great. And, you know, it's not on... Well, there isn't a PS5 upgraded version of it. I think you can pl- you can just play the PS4 version of it on, on PS5 if you want. Mm. Um, Yakuza is great. It's really fun. Um, it's not like a big technical showpiece or anything, but it's, it's, it's certainly a big, meaty, solid game that will keep you playing through Christmas, which is, which is important. And it... It feels like uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla was kind of positioned as a bit of a launch game, even though it's on everything. Xbox had the, you know, one of those marketing kind of deals, hmm. um, which they're probably a bit annoyed about now because, by all accounts, the PS5 version runs a bit better. Um, uh, again, according to dig- a recent Digital Foundry video, um, I must say, of everything I've played, Valhalla on the Series X felt like the most next-gen thing in terms of. I've played those games on console before and just seeing it run at 60 frames, which to my eyes was pretty smooth and there was a bit of screen tearing, but it's a really amazing, amazing looking game, uh, you know, and I, I played, I've played it for about 90 hours on Series X now, um, which is just obscene. Um, Too much, really. It is, it's, it's, it's mad, but 
yeah, I can't really get enough of it. But it, it's uh, that that to me felt like uh, it's kind of how those games run on PC, and so that takes a little bit of the wow factor away from it. But the fact that it is on a console and it has the ease of use of a console, that I'm doing it on my sofa with a controller. Um, I really enjoyed that, and I thought, oh, actually, you know, I can see myself playing console stuff more than PCs, you know, just out of ease of use. Um, because if if they are if they run like this and they look like this, and so you know, I think I think Valhalla is actually a pretty good shout for them because it shows off their hardware better than most of the other new games. Mm. Um, in terms of actual PlayStation stuff, I've only got Spider Man and Astro's Playroom. Um, can't speak to Sackboy, but. I don't have high hopes because I'm not I'm not a big little big planet person really. Mm. Um, he just he controls how he looks, you know, like a <laughs> like a little weak body with this giant obnoxious head. It just you know, and that is how he controls, which is which is terrible. Um, and Demon Souls is no, I'm just not interested at all. I'm not a, not a Soulsborn person, and seventy quid to see if I am now a Soulsborn person seems unwise. Yeah, uh, they're not impulse purchases. But um, but Astro's Playroom, yeah, I mean, I've you know I've likened it to Mario on Twitter and things, and it, it really does. Um, it has that Nintendo level of charm. Uh, it leans big into nostalgia in a way that like Xbox can't really do because they don't really have that history. And maybe they're getting there now, but PlayStation actually probably does now have the history to kind of pull that off. Um, it's quite weird that it's very hardware i mean there's lots of like nods to the games in there there's lots of like little alien or robot guys like cosplaying as snake and you know various other playstation luminaries um but you unlock all these like you know it's the memory card (laughs) it's the multi-tap it's that horrible portable screen that you could plug into the chibi playstation one and like i'm not a big playstation guy so i love that you know, I'm like, mm, okay, uh, whenever that stuff unlocks. But it's nice that they've got to that point. And as a show-off for the controller, it is it is pretty pretty magical. I mean, the um, the adaptive trigger stuff, uh, which is where they can basically change the resistance on the R2 and L2 buttons to kind of mimic well all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, the very one of the very first things you do when you turn the game on is you have to like squeeze the triggers to sort of power some jets from the bottom of the controller and i actually thought you know the resistance is so tight you know you think you're gonna break it you know you're pushing down on it and you sort of snap through and and you're like oh no i've broken it and then the fire comes out and you're like oh it's meant to do that and it's i i didn't really appreciate how um kind of nuanced that stuff was going to be um you know that got me really excited but then playing (laughs) spider-man um kind of not took the wind out of the sails of, of, of the dual sense, but I wasn't that blown away with what they did with it. Um, I, I, you know, I've seen some people in their reviews go like, wow, it really feels like you're web-slinging, or you can feel like the electricity of, of the, the electrical attacks kind of zipping around the controller, and it, it sort of rumbles when you punch someone with electricity. Um, but I didn't really get much more than that. So that that was a little after Astro's Playroom. It was a it was a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, you do wonder if um, some of the co- the controllers features the haptic whatever rumbles in different places and the um, adaptive triggers they're going to be used as widely as they are in Astro's Playroom, which is designed specifically to show off those features. Like I can't see everywhere doing it. I mean, I was playing a bit of. Um, 
Watch Dogs Legion on PS5, which I actually found very disappointing because it only runs at 30 frames per second, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, and I would rather switch the puddles off and, and have a higher frame rate or whatever it is <laughs> yeah. they're doing. And not to say that the game didn't require a massive amount of effort to make and all that stuff. It's just, um, apart from there being some speaker sounds coming out of the controller, I couldn't really tell why it was a PS5 version. Um, or like yeah. what, was, what was meaningfully different from the PS4 one I played last week, you know? But I, I, I do, I know some people would be like, great, you know, I don't like controller gimmickry, but... It can be brilliant, you know, and I, you know, I come from a Nintendo background, you know, and those, you know, that is like gimmick controllers, the company. And when you lean into them, you can achieve great things. I mean, I've also seen that people are very quick to dump features um, if they're too much work or you just can't be bothered. But, you know, the what's capable, I think, is really exciting. It really makes me excited for certain developers who I know have that experimental streak yeah you know like when i played that you know held that controller like the, the first thing that goes into your head is like kojima is going to do something amazing with this mm. and it's kind of a shame that they don't have those people like lined up you know in a clear way to kind of go oh yes i know this i know this good stuff's coming and i know the first party will will do some nice stuff with it but i'd, I'd like to i don't know i feel to, like that's it's such a it's such a benefit to that console if, if people do engage with it. I'd, I'd like to see people kind of getting a bit more excited about it. Yeah, I think that, uh, like you say, Sony's own developers, so I'm thinking like Gorilla, it kind of feels like a controller that's made for that Horizon Zero Dawn sequel, uh, Forbidden West. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm sure Naughty Dog, you know, you could see them doing something kind of like interesting with it too, the way they kind of play with different novel bits of PlayStation hardware in their games. Um, to be honest, I was trying to think of examples, and I can only, only think of balancing Nathan Drake uh, with the Dual uh, Dual Shock Three um, and the Six Axis controller, which was actually quite a terrible feature they took out for the uh, <laughs> PS4 remake. Um, but yeah, um, I, so talking of um, the games that are coming up, then um, I think that obviously, like the kind of hardware features, Sony will kind of build on, try and make that stuff appealing to people, including the different activities tabs the game that they show you in the games. I didn't find those particularly meaningful in any of the games I played, to be honest. Yeah, I don't really understand any of that. <laughs> yeah. In fact, like I was actually kind of horrified that when you press the PlayStation button, a completely different UI comes up with like <laughs> a million different options. And I was like, oh, so it's like a UI on top of the UI. I'm not ready for this right now. <laughs> I couldn't actually find the power button. Yeah, it's, quite, it's, it's hard. It's very well hidden in that little bar. Yeah, I've just um, lent the uh, controller to my uh, so the game console to my partner and said, "This is how you turn it off in case you don't know." Because I didn't, and it took me a few minutes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that looking ahead, um, Microsoft has kind of launched without any um, really compelling exclusive software, and that's kind of a continuation of a problem that Microsoft's had um, for a few years now throughout the Xbox One generation, not having the kind of developers. Or the game's ready to go, um, and uh, it's kind of playing catch up, and it's been making these major acquisitions. Uh, I think it has twenty three in house developers now that it's um, planning to acquire Bethesda and all of its studios. Um, so they're throwing money at the problem, which I respect. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, I was wondering what you thought about next year because I was I was kind of scoping it out, and Xbox probably has Halo Infinite, uh, the next Forza, and Everwild out next year. I would say, like at most, that's probably the three major exclusives barring any surprises stuff like yeah, fable I mean, they might get a hellblade 2 yes good point yeah um but yeah the, i think the 
I think the part of the problem with them is they bought all these studios and then, you know, the story that is largely thrown around is that they're they're just there to sort of feed Game Pass with exclusives. Yeah. Which doesn't necessarily mean you know, they're not buying studios with the aim to, for each of them to make a Horizon Zero Dawn. You know, they're they're getting these studios because they want them to make things like Grounded, you know, that Obsidian back garden thing <laughs> and um uh whatever that one was that was about roller skating <laughs> that looked terrible uh, there's also that bleeding edge game um that ninja theory put out oh i think that's the roller skating one oh, okay right yeah <laughs> i mean i played that at e3 i forgot that game was just out you can just play it now and i don't think i ever realized it came out um yeah, yeah. and that's that's i th- think they've got, they've got to get away from that i did feel like a glimmer of hope when they did that first party presentation a couple of months ago hmm. you know where they revealed you know, Forza and Fable and... Um, Avowed, the Obsidian game. Yes, yeah, so stuff like that gets me excited. And the Bethesda stuff, I mean, that's, that's, really, that's really exciting too. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm definitely up for um, some really unpleasant corporate shenanigans where they don't bring that to PlayStation 5. <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of next year, it's, it's a, it still feels like it's going to be a bit of a transition year. Like, the, we've got a lot of sequels coming um you know things i'm excited for like hitman 3 you know i'm I'm really really up for that and um the the next what's the next batman thing called the, uh the... arkham Knight? no it's not gotham arkham Knights? is it? it's gotham knights that's it yeah i don't know can we can we fairly call that an arkham sequel i don't know it's got numbers flying out of enemies i, I was immediately alarmed by that um, yeah <laughs> i got while also acknowledging it looked kind of amazing um it's a beautiful looking game um i look batman ish in in terms of their combat and stuff um but yeah in terms of xbox as exclusive though i think mm. that so to your point about grounded and uh the um reprehensible uh roller skating game um <laughs> i think that those those had the the whiff of projects that were kind of around um before they were acquired yeah. and then they kind of got finished and put out not to say that i i mean i haven't played those games in like great details so like i can't really pass comment on them um but they don't feel like the kind of stuff that you would buy a studio uh for whereas i think those kinds of games avowed as an example of what microsoft probably had in mind when it bought obsidian it thought please make a skyrim like game um, yeah but that was before they knew they were going to buy uh the people who own skyrim yeah um but still <laughs> um you know more the merrier i guess um, yeah so yeah i think that um they're still going to play catch up because they've got they've you know these are still re- recent acquisitions so they've got a long way to go to make these big games they're working on um so microsoft could still have a slightly quieter time while that's happening but I guess it just needs to get Halo right next year, and then it won't really matter as much about the yeah, other stuff. I, I, I feel all kinds of confusing thoughts for that game. I mean, the I, I always I always feel bad when people like back down in a public fight. You know, where they reveal something, and then all these people start making memes and making fun of it, and then you're like, "All right, we're delaying it," and it's like you know, you had your kind of courage of your convictions up until this point. You know, you've been working on this thing for all these years. The idea of taking it, you know, taking a bit of time. And, it, they, you know, they're very slow-moving things, games. You can't change course that radically in a year. Mm. Um, so I kind of, uh, I don't know. I feel that game's, do, you know, it, 
all eyes are on it now, and it's it's draw it's only drawn more attention to itself and its potential problems mm, by yeah. delaying. And I worry that it's I don't know, it's going to be a big old mess. Uh, I'm not massively attached to Halo emotionally, um, but it's it is always a, a shame when you know what what is meant to be your big showcase or what is meant to be your you know your apps oh, and so their mascot. You know, Mario would never drop the ball like that, um, and it is sort of dis- that is sort of disappointing just to, to, to sort of see the literal man Mario would never drop the ball like that. No, um, well, Mario, Mario's done loads of awful stuff. I mean, uh, you know, outside of his main games, you know, he's got a, a, about as ropey a track record as anyone. You know, when you get into the realms of some of the sports stuff he's been in and whatnot. Um, but they would never, you know, he's just too precious to get wrong. Yeah. And I think Master Chief is, should also be too precious to get wrong. Uh, yeah, too big to fail is kind of how I feel about um, Halo Infinite at this point. It's just, it's not a good look when senior members of the team move on or move around. Um, yeah. That happened fairly recently, I believe, with Halo Infinite. Um, it's not it's not good optics. And like you say, a year is not a long time to fix whatever it is they think they're going to fix. I mean, I don't know, make the aliens look better i've got no idea what, uh, the, what the potential fix is there but yeah it's it's a shame so it just leaves i don't think it makes a difference because the consoles are in such demand right now with people being indoors a lot more that microsoft will probably sell whatever they make next year yeah, yeah. regardless so it won't matter i think phil spencer even said something like that like we are selling so many consoles you know what what difference does it make but sony by comparison has quite a big year planned um how it gets you know whether any of this gets affected by uh covid or not is um yet to be seen but there's horizon forbidden west that's their biggest game of the next year probably um that's uh, expected to arrive later next year they've also got returnal um from house marquee games i believe they're called the um studio behind dead nation and some of those um, oh yeah those games uh the kind of like roguelike uh shooter they showed in that first showcase uh, this early this year and then they've also got um, Gran Turismo 7 uh, and two Bethesda games, ironically, Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo, which are expected to come to PC. I think Deathloop is confirmed for PC. I'm not sure about Ghostwire Tokyo. Um, but um, that's quite a packed year. Um, yeah. So Sony's looking good. I think they've just used... They know that they're all about make these big games, get these big games out, get people excited about them. Um, and they just have a good pattern of that now, you know? Yeah, I think they. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little disappointed that they backed down on their their initial line of you know this is going to be the next generation. Don't expect these games on PS4, and then at, you know over time, quite a few of them are, which just puts some limitations on them. You know, like the fact that Horizon Zero Dawn Forbidden West is coming to PlayStation 4, it it naturally puts a lim- some limits on it. Yeah, you know, like Miles Morales, as good as it is, it, you know, it's comfortably a PlayStation Four game with bells and whistles on it. Yeah, um, and that's fine. But I also want, you know, staggering things. We didn't have that last gen. You know, everything that came out on PS Four arguably couldn't have happened on PS Three um, from their first parties. And you know, I know they've got that huge install base and the costs are going up, but I really want them to throw in. I think Ratchet and Clank isn't going to be a 
PS4 thing. No, I don't think so. Because doesn't that doesn't that like hinge specifically on the speed of the loading? Like it just can't be done. It certainly looks like it, and that's what I want. I want I want things that just can't be done. Like you know, if you're going to spend that much money and you're going to ask people to spend that much money on on a new box, it has to do it has to do something the old box can't. Yeah. I think um, Sony didn't handle this very well, I don't think, by um, initially going with the line of these are PS5 games, like you say, and then kind of either they changed their mind or they decided to reveal reveal them later, whatever it might be. Um, And then, um, yeah, and and then they're kind of now just saying, well, why wouldn't we want to give games to our 100 million install base? But it's like, well, why did you initially not announce it? Uh, what What was your actual thought process there? So... I agree with you. Um, I wonder if the difference with something like Horizon will be you get no loading times between areas of the map if you're on like PS5, but in yeah, PS4. But I I, I, even that trick, while cool, we'll we'll get old. So you know, it'll just be what we expect from this generation, and it better use the resist the adaptive triggers for some like amazing amazing bow strain or something. Yeah, um, or <laughs> I'll be disappointed. I was a little down uh, disheartened to see. Um, the head of Sony being a bit non-committal about God of War being only on PS5, which sounds like it will be on PS4, because why would you be non-committal unless it was good news? Yeah. Um, you know, because that to me was like, I felt like that was straining, you know, at the edges of what was possible. Um, and I'd like them just to go whole hog with it, but we'll see. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay, so, uh, Matthew, Moving on to uh, something else I wanted to discuss around console launches. Mm. Uh, so we have covered console launches, uh, working on magazines over the years. I've worked on a couple of uh, generational launches, and you've worked on a few too, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, I was there for the Wii when I worked on Endgamer and, uh, well, the 3DS as well, I guess, and then the Wii U um, with Official Nintendo. Yeah, so uh, for me, I worked on, um, when I was on... Uh, Play Magazine, both times I worked on um, PS3 when that launched in uh, Europe in 2007 and um, PS4 in 2013. Um, so I was uh, yeah, I was around for those, uh, more or less. And uh, yeah, it's quite, quite interesting to see how much it's changed. Um, what do you think the key differences are now between a console launching these days and a console launching, say, like 13, 15 years ago? Uh, I... I, you know, I can't. I, I've obviously never worked on on a kind of PlayStation Mac, so I don't know how how this was handled. But like Nintendo always kind of kind of kept us quite distant from the hardware for quite a long time. Hmm. Um, and you know, my memories of that time are largely kind of having to steal kind of very limited glimpses at something to form quite dense opinions. You know, we had to write whole mags where actually we saw you know our access to the Wii was was relatively limited and it feels like that's changed a bit in terms of you know i think people had a series x units for about a month before they came out and mm. we're almost like beta testing them um as journalists from 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 at least that's the the impression you got from the articles you know they were getting like updates and it's like today these games can now be played on it um where that wasn't the case i mean do you know about do you know about the infamous wee house uh no i don't think i do actually go for it so this is when the wii came out obviously the big kind of push back then was to try and make it seem sort of they were going for this big family push you know following on the heels of the ds you know they weren't treating it like a normal console thing you know it wasn't it wasn't trading on being cool it was just trading on being super accessible 
And the way they kind of framed this was that if you wanted to play the Wii, you, they hired this, they rented this very nice townhouse in London and rebranded it the Wii House. And if you wanted to play the Wii, you had to go to the Wii House and each room was themed around like a different member of the family. And then they try and like put games in that room to kind of that kind of best suited that sort of personality. Mm. So like in the living room, it was like Wii Sports. And um, there was a WarioWare, well, um, the WarioWare Wii game as well, even though that wasn't a launch game, that was there too. What, where, was, like, what was in the toilet? I need to know what was in the toilet. <laughs> there was nothing in the toilet. Oh, I okay. think that was like the only room the PRs could sit in in peace. <laughs> so it'd probably just be a Nintendo PR sending emails. Yeah. Um, but it was a really, really nice, it was a really nice house. They had like a boy's bedroom, which is where they had like Call of Duty 3. Um <laughs> But I remember, like, that was the idea to begin with. And I, I went to this place, like, probably five or six times over over a month. Had to keep going back to, to play different things. And, um, like, you can see that they were getting strained and they were, like, booking people into different rooms. And it got to the point where they were just having to swap consoles. So I remember having to sit in this, like young girl's bedroom it was like all pink unicorns rainbows they they didn't have seats i had to sit on the bed a child's bed playing like call of duty 3 like knifing people in the throat and thinking like this is so weird and not at all what the message that they want to send um and they they also had because they were getting like big mainstream coverage because you know the wii was obviously becoming this sort of phenomenon thing even in the run-up to launch and you'd often be there as a journo and you'd get, like, turfed out of the room because someone more important, you know, it'd be like, the one show's here, so you have to get out of here, you have to go and sit in the attic and play WarioWare um, with you scum. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I remember being there at Newsnote Review, went there to play the Wii. Um, It was all, like, uh, Mark Kermode and Tom Paulin and Jermaine Greer and quite snooty art art critics. We all had to leave the living room so they could film their Newsnight review segment. Um, So I had to go and play, like, Barnyard in the kitchen. Um, But that was... uh, And then uh, as, like, the excitement died down, they downgraded it to a flat. Uh, It was the Wii flat, which is where you had to go and play, like, Wii music. Um... And things like that but they had a massive bowl of sweets which was great because there was never anyone there like the PR would just let you in and then leave so I remember just sitting there eating this massive bowl of sweets playing Wii Music Is that why you kept going back there? <laughs> yeah, just like going fill, out of my mind on sugar yeah. It's probably why I rated Wii Music as high as I did <laughs> just because I was out of my mind on freaking drumsticks <laughs> <laughs> Nothing has changed yeah. uh, I mean by contrast I, I came along slightly too late for the PS3's launch in Japan and the US because it launched right. in 2006 in those two territories and then Europe later on. Um, so when I arrived at the Imagine office, I joined in like March 2007. There was like a cupboard that had a chaotic kind of like array of these PS3 obelisks that all had different stickers on them saying like, you know, debug uh, PS3, Japanese PS3. Uh, like I think there was um, there was uh, one from another Asian country. I can't remember what it was, but they got um, like an American PS3, and then like there was like two European ones, and it was just a kind of a mess. It was like this gigantic power pack that you needed to plug it in safely, um, and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. 
Um, and actually, for my um, job interview on uh, when I applied to work on Play Magazine, the first thing they uh, the task they had me do was play Motorstorm on PS3 before it launched in Europe, and then write a mock review on it. I'm sure the mock review was terrible, um, <laughs> but that was that was really eye opening because um, I would argue that that generational leap from standard def to hd was probably the last like massive leap and probably is the last time we'll see a massive leap like that um just a huge difference in fidelity so the kind of visual blurring effects when you're like driving um or like the mud effects on motor storm were just amazing there was nothing like that on ps2 that could handle it you know Um, being being offered that in an interview that must have been like painful from like a oh man like i've had this glimpse of what this job could be yeah like Oh, I mean, what a what a thing to what a tease to leave a, a a potential kind of application with. Yeah, I mean, well, I was eighteen and I didn't I didn't have any qualifications. I'd kind of messed up my A levels and I didn't even think I was going to get the job. So I think that my radiant enthusiasm probably helped get me over the line because like <laughs> yeah. this guy just lost his mind at the idea of playing you know Motorstorm on PS3, <laughs> um, which is a very good, it was a very good game, very good launch game, but like. Um, yeah, so uh, that happened. But then the PS3 was, uh, you know, now regarded as not a failure for Sony because it did sell very well, but it wasn't like a first-place winner like all of its other consoles have been. Um, so it's quite an interesting time because even though it's it was a very much a premium console and it was priced that way, it was £425, the demand for it, while high at first, doesn't seem comparable to PS5 where... People seem to have such a strong connection to the PlayStation hardware or like their PSN account, their PSN friends, whatever it is, that the continuity is now like, I have to have a PS5 straight away. Yeah. Um, There's definitely a change in, in temperature on that stuff, I would say. Um, yeah. yeah. It was weird. Like the, the Wii was, cause it was where the generations sort of split apart as well because Nintendo were just on this other track from, you know, PS3 and 360 and. We were in the office. We were the only Nintendo mag. There was Games Master and Edge also covering Nintendo consoles, but everyone was so excited for PS3 and 360 that, like, the Wii didn't really matter what the Wii could do. It just couldn't get anyone excited outside. You know, we were excited. I was excited. Um, But, like, you know, we shared a communal space for playing it, and no one cared of what was happening on the Wii compared to what was happening with... PS3 and 360, just because they seemed so shiny and sexy. And I remember when, um, not a launch game admittedly, but when like Gears of War first came into the office as preview code, I've never seen like a crowd that big in the office because Edge had it. And um, Edge famously, uh, they they used to put um, cardboard over the windows and sit in this, and they, I think they even, they took like the bulbs out of the ceiling. So they basically worked in darkness in this dark corner of the office. And you could just see all these people down there lit up by a TV screen, kind of that, you know, it was almost like an advert for it. You know, if you, like one of those abstract PS2 adverts, mm. um, just all these sort of gaunt sort of, um, you know, 20 to 30 year olds <laughs> staring in wonder at something. And you went down and it was just like a big muscly man chainsawing like a white lump of skin. Um, <laughs> and you were like, wow, yeah, this is the future. Uh, where like we were reviewing games on a console, which like didn't even work with HDTVs. Like we had a C, we were the only people with a CRTV, um, which was infamously stained with yogurt. Um, and we always used to joke that it was we were playing everything in Yogo Vision. 
um, next we sat next to a PSN three, so it'd always be Andy Kelly playing something amazing looking <laughs> on a on a flat screen TV, and us playing something grim on this this giant hulking CRT stained with fucking Danon. So it was, uh, yeah, <laughs> like it was just a really it was a really weird golf. Yeah, that, and I was stuck with that golf for about eight years. So <laughs> yeah, I, the funny thing is that like I, I think that so. So much of the perception that we would have changed if they'd have had like a HDMI cable sort of support. Yeah. Um, just because it output, you could have out had the games look exactly the same, but output in 1080p, and it would feel more like a proper games console to people, I think, than it just be plugged into a HDTV and it just looks blurry as hell. And that was like, well, that's your Wii experience, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, yeah. And you did later get the occasional game, which I think even despite those limitations, would like break out of them and they were like obviously spectacular like mary galaxy um but yeah there weren't a lot of them yeah yeah so yeah definitely like um it definitely created like you say kind of a gulf between those um but i would say that having worked on a ps3 mag at that time the ps3 felt like it was firmly in the 360 shadow um in that first year i was working there um so it was a really complicated console in a lot of ways. It was really hard to upgrade the firmware. That was a pain in the ass. It was really hard to uh, capture screenshots with this extremely elaborate technology. Um, the PS3 was quite bad at detecting what you had plugged into it, and you had to hard and soft reset it a lot. And it was, <laughs> and obviously the console itself was very cold when you turned it on. Um, whereas the 360 had those nice blades and stuff. And I then- thought you meant like physically cold. <laughs> Like no, the 360 no. was so warm and nice. <laughs> it was so warm to have in the room while we were there. The Dickensian urchins <laughs> gathered around our frosted PS3. It was just a, it was a very uh, just a very odd console, the PS3. And then like, after the initial um, very good one-two punch of uh, Resistance: Fall of Man, which is quite quite a solid seven out of ten uh, FPS, and uh, Motor Storm, which was really good. Um, they didn't really have much for a long time um, and when they did have games they ended up being quite disappointing like Heavenly Sword was a bit disappointing Yeah. even though it kind of set up um, Ninja Theory to go make some better games uh, subsequently um, but it was it was like five hours long and just really quite a bad quite a bad pompous sort of story not a very good hack and slash game um, disappointing had, had one of the worst six axis features of that time bad motion control and um, there was Lair as well which was famously bad motion control game from uh, Factor 5 the old Rogue Squadron Rogue Leader didn't developers. it kill Factor 5? yeah it was the end of them that was their last game um, very unfortunate I think to uh, making a PS3 exclusive in the early days of that console not good like the install base pretty lean I think until they got the um new models and the price cuts and stuff and some bigger games arrived was um, haze a console exclusive yep yeah that took a little while to come out but yeah that was um i think that was early 2008 that came out and it was kind of a disaster as well um <laughs> so sony made some quite uh, they had some good stuff like they made um uh warhawk for ps3 which is actually a really solid dog fighting game but right was like it was on a console that hadn't sold amazingly and uh, it was an online dogfighting game. I think you can kind of tell from Star Wars Squadrons now that that's quite a niche genre. It doesn't yeah, get people yeah. really excited. Um, so the PS3, to me, just working on play that year, and all the ports of games were worse than they were on 360, like in every single case. And it was like that for a while until I think um, Un- uh, Epic made Unreal Engine 3 work properly on PS3 or something. Um, but there were a lot of bad ports in those early days. So 
yeah, meanwhile, the Microsoft, they were starting to get like, you know, they had like Bioshock and Halo 3. Uh, and Bioshock, because I, I, I got a 360 just around the time Bioshock came out. That was the one where suddenly, and it was admittedly because of PC too, but in the office there was this instant buzz of like, oh, the, here's the game everyone is talking about. And, I, you know, I didn't really know what it was at first because you just, you'd, you'd keep hearing people talking about like, powering up their arms so they could basically spanner things to death and there was always references to like magical arms and powerful arms and i'm thinking what the hell is this everyone keeps talking about and going to the pub on friday nights where everyone at future would be at the same place and just inevitably there'd always be a patch of conversation about bioshock and it felt like this is you know this is like the first this is the first really universally big game of this generation that everyone's super excited for and I was like, I have to get it, you know, nothing up to that point had made me want to get one. I was like, I just have to get a 360 to to play this thing. Yeah, the same thing happened with me. I, I picked up a 360 for that and also to play Gears of War, which Gears of War came out in late 2006. And that was arguably the first massive uh, 360 exclusive, um, a very, obviously a very influential game. Um, in terms of third-person shooters, I kind of bounced off of it, but I saw the appeal of it. Um, it was a very good, very good, technically good shooter. Uh, looked amazing. Um, I was going to ask you, Matthew. So you then worked on the Wii U launch as well, right? Yeah. Um, so the Wii died down fairly quickly in terms of it was enormously popular, but after about three or four years, kind of went dry for new games. So what was the Wii U launch like? The Wii, the Wii U was sort of baffling from the start because i remember being there at e3 when they when they first you know revealed it and showed its form and it just it looked so strange and a a strange thing happens when you work on a nintendo publication where you you know your job is obviously to sort of see the bright side of things or at least to try and you know um spin it's the wrong word you don't want to take like a massive dump on 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 the thing which is going to be at the heart of your publication yeah. your enthusiast press you know yes and and so you give you give it a break and and it it i still hold that there are some amazing experiences that can only happen on wii u that were like worthwhile and made the wii u worth happening worth having you know like genuinely when they showed it off you know some of the stuff in nintendo land is you know definitive um uh oh, i've completely forgotten the word multiplayer where it's two sides that are different asymmetrical asymmetrical multiplayer stuff that's just gen- you know absolutely genius and that second screen really made it worthwhile but now whenever i see how we you in the house i do always sort of chuckle to myself <laughs> at the sight of the controller because it's so it's so obscene <laughs> it's a real fisher price oh it's it. oh it's so plasticky and the triggers on it are horrible i mean it, it just it was never sleek and compared to the switch which is like smaller the controller and better um, you know, it just really like hammered the the nail in the coffin for that one. I know I would say that Nintendo did later on did some amazing, amazing games on that console, and I think actually it it saw a lot of their teams mature in a way that is now like really paying dividends on on um, Switch, uh, and it had to kind of go through that process to sort of work out what it wanted to do, and it was juggling the 3DS and the two of them at the same time, and it was in that weird transition phase where it clearly wanted to be working on one thing, but its heart wasn't quite there in in, in either. Um, but like from a sort of morale point of view, it was really depressing mm. because you know 
our jobs hinged on the excitement around Nintendo and the magazine and I didn't want to be fibbing, you know, I, I came from an unofficial Nintendo magazine and my nightmare was that this sort of idea that official mags kind of sugarcoat everything and um, wouldn't be able to write and I didn't want to have to write about something which was bad and say it was good um, and so dealing with some of the stuff on it, you know, we had to kind of... Uh, you had to be pretty generous with some of your thinking, I yeah. think. Um, I can remember going to the launch for it, and it was this. I mean, it was oh, it was really very bad. It was at uh, it was at an, a London HMV, and I knew it was. I knew it was on the ropes when they asked the then editor of the magazine Chandra to actually host the launch event. Right, and you were like. Why is Nintendo doing, you know, what, why haven't they got, like, a celebrity doing this? Yeah. You know, like, and it just, the alarm bells went off. Because I remember they were, they were doing demonstrations on stage and Chandra was doing his, his sort of, um, whatever it is he does, um, with a microphone. Um, and we had to play it off stage to, like, to be projected onto the screen. Right. So we were, like, having practice sessions in the office of playing this weird thing. So it all felt quite, oof, I don't know, it's a bit murky, really. Like, you know, we were sort of involved in the launch event for this thing we were meant to be covering. It was a bit of an eye-opener about how close Nintendo and official Nintendo were, I guess. Mm. Um, but the actual co- yeah, the actual concert itself, I thought its, its launch games weren't horrible. I thought it actually, if you look at the titles, if you lived in a bubble and had never experienced any other console... There was some stuff on there you'd be like, this is pretty good. You know, like, it had a lot of ports of, like, Mass Effect 3 and Batman Arkham City and things like that. But by this point, they were, like, a billion years old to yeah. everyone else. So the idea of being like, whoa, Batman, when everyone else was getting exciting for Arkham Knight. Wow, just uh, just Mass Effect 3 and not yeah, the, and not the other well. two. Like, it's like, do you want the end of a story you've not heard? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, nope. <laughs> and it's like... The famous thing about this is it's a famously ba- it's a famously unloved ending to a story that you haven't heard. Yeah. So you know, there's always characters turning up and they're like, "Remember me?" and all the Nintendo fans <laughs> are like, "Nope, <laughs> absolutely no idea." Um, stuff like that and like full whack. Like you know, it's like, do you want to buy a port of a four-year-old game that you've not got the other versions of for fifty quid? <laughs> and you're like, no, not really. Yeah. Uh, and it had a like its big first-party thing. Nintendo Land aside, was uh, New Super Mario Brothers U, um, which I just I just can't get excited for the New Super Mario Brothers. There's lots of people I really respect who love those games and enjoy them as technical platformers, but after the wonderment of a galaxy. They are so underwhelming to me. Mm. Um, the idea of being like, that's your dose of Mario. And it was like your only dose of Mario for quite some time. I think we had to wait a reasonably long time for yeah. 3D World. 2013, late 2013, I think was 3D Yeah, World. oh, it wasn't that long. Well, yeah, in my head, it felt like an age because we were <laughs> like really paddling to sort of, you know, stay above water. Mm. Um, and it did eventually get good stuff. Pikmin, Mario Kart, absolutely fantastic. Um, Smash Bros. Smash Bros. But it all just came it, for the for the mag. It came very late in the day. Yeah. That first year was was really hard work. It's, like it was us giving a lot of sevens to things that should have been fives and nines to things that probably should have been eights and things like. That. It was nothing. You couldn't. I wasn't very proud of the console as a fan. 
Um, even though it had lots of quirks that I liked, um, but quirks don't sell machine. You know, like having the Miiverse being all weird. I mean, it's cool, but in the grand scheme of things, sadly, it doesn't make a huge difference. Mm. Um, especially not when you have to write, you know, 114 pages about it every month. Yeah. I had one too, and um, I, I agree with you that like there are some games that just truly benefited from having that controller. And I think Breath of the Wild is a genuinely better experience with the Wii U controller. Um, oh, I've never actually played it on Wii U. I've only played it on Switch. Well, I just think the inventory management on the screen works really well. And so, uh, you know, he's carrying a Wii U controller in the game. That's yeah. what that slate is. Like, it's not a Switch. It's clearly a Wii U controller. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I think that um, that's uh, that's one example. Mario 3D World is another one where... I think the kind of touchscreen stuff worked very, very nicely and blowing into the controller and all that stuff. Um, I'd be curious to see how they uh, kind of um, sort that out on the Switch, which doesn't have some of those same features. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, just from the outside looking in, the Wii U, the Wii seemed like it was it was a very a mainstream success, but not a specialist success if you love gaming. Um, the Wii U just seemed like it wasn't for anyone uh, and a real kind of misfire, <laughs> underpowered and badly timed and... But it feels like in the long run, it really set um, Nintendo up for a very good run on the Switch. And oh yeah, uh, yeah. and it, it really like a lot of the important stuff that happened at Nintendo was behind the scenes. Was its teams? You know, you've got to remember like Wii U was the era we got like Splatoon, and you started seeing developers in interviews that weren't just Miyamoto. You know, Nintendo all through Wii would always put out Miyamoto to interview for just about anything you know, regardless of his level of involvement. And it it really felt like this was the new generation. Likewise, on 3DS, you know, you suddenly had some teams who were doing their best work. You know, Animal Crossing on 3DS was phenomenal. You got Fire Emblem's Awakenings, which, like, rebirthed the Fire Emblem series as something really substantial and important. Mm. Um, I actually think that's, like... It, it's it's kind of a, a shame, I, you know, obviously what happened with Mr. Oata is, you know, terribly sad and a, sh- and a shame for many reasons. But I, I used to love the interviews he did and I would just have loved to have heard more about that process in those interviews because I feel like a huge change happened at Nintendo in that time. Hmm. And, you know, there's such a mystery to so many people, you know, any outsiders basically. Um, you know, I'd love to know kind of what changed their sort of philosophies because, you know, based on their first party outfit on Switch and and then late 3DS, I mean, they really, they became something else. It's yeah. a shame that there was no Nintendo magazine to cover it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I, I agree with you. And it kind of speaks to something else I wanted to just um, loop back to the uh, next gen consoles here, actually, which is... Um, bad generations tend to lead to good generations, um, yeah. and it's it's a pattern we've seen with um, Sony of the PS3. I mean, PS3 had plenty of good games; it sold well, but it was notoriously bad, uh, tough to develop for. Sony has admitted this, and then um, you know the PS4 was uh, you know a much more conventional uh, console in how it looked. It didn't cost as much. Um, it was kind of like a, a PC um, in terms of its kind of like hardware um, and was enormously successful from the start, partly helped by Microsoft at the same time um, having a, a very bad launch, um, very misguided focus on uh, making a multimedia console yeah. um, and not really having any games, um, which was kind of mystifying because they'd come off the back of a generation where they absolutely caned it with exclusives. They just had so many good exclusive games. 
Um, yeah, but then when you, when you compare it to Series X now, and you look back at it, and you're like, yeah, I would settle for a rise about now. <laughs> uh, like that's that's how like when you've got no first party launch games and literally not a one. <laughs> I mean, you really are like, actually, I would settle for a Dead Rising three, a Rise, and a Forza. I'm a, I, I, not to, to rehash this. It is amazing there wasn't a Forza ready this year given how cyclical those games are. That is weird, actually, I yes. mean, like, you always launch with a shiny sports... G- isn't that, like, isn't that the law? Like, why is there not a... You know, there has to be a, a racing game, because how are you meant to tell how impressive graphics are without <laughs> shiny bonnets? Yeah. That's the, that's the mark of all great... <laughs> all great graphics it was also like a weirdly lean showing for that forza game when it was um shown off for that showcase event it was like a 30 to minute long trailer and didn't show much um mm. so yeah i agree with you very very strange but yeah like um you're, you're absolutely right i mean they were they had dead rising 3 they had you know a bunch of smaller exclusives um like loco cycle i don't remember oh, that one God. uh there was like a panzer dragoon type thing called crimson dragon i think yeah. it was called that was bad um unfortunately <laughs> um so yeah i think that uh yeah by comparison not so bad but i think in terms of their philosophy obviously microsoft's kind of sorted them out sells out a little bit um do you think that either of these consoles are destined to truly shit the bed this generation? Um, how how do you think it's looking prospect wise? I I don't think so. I think if there's any bed shitting to be done, <laughs> um, it'll be it'll be the Xbox Series S, um, which I think is going to do very well because of the price point. But I find I find the messaging around it so vague. I think there's going to be a lot of disappointment, like. You know, on paper they're like, oh, it's it's basically Series X but fourteen forty p. But you know, even in these launch games, it's become increasingly obvious that isn't the case. You know, it isn't seeing the sixty frame update in Valhalla, for example, at fourteen forty p. You know, and that to me is like where Series X does feel next gen is in things like those that that frame rate performance boost. To not have that, I really can't see how it's different from xbox one x if anything at times it feels like it's less powerful than the xbox one x wow um you know and and the way they talk about it like you know if there are games which have xbox one x updates for them they will be boosted on the series x but not series s and to me that says "Eh, series s and xbox one x not that different and the, the idea that people would go for something so even though the price is amazing, like cheaper than the Switch, no arguing with that, but like to not really know what it is and to not really have, you know, Microsoft put out more demos or videos of like, this is how it's going to perform. I just feel like it's a console that probably seems quite neat now, but, you know, the the unspoken thing around this machine is surely it's going to become more disappointing as the generation goes on. Mm. You know, way faster than Series X does. You know, all consoles naturally kind of get a bit tired as the years go on, but this one is already not really doing what it should be doing. And But then in the reviews, people are like, but I love the form factor so much. And you're like, yeah, but you also bought... If you're going to buy a new machine, don't you want it to do something new? I mean, I, I don't get the S at all. Yeah, I think that is... That is a bed shitter to be. Um, <laughs> tiny, tiny SSD as well. Like uh, what, oh. something like over three hundred um, 
gigabytes of but, space, but, but under 400. But pe- people seem, I, mean, I will say, like, all the people I follow on Twitter who do have one are really, really happy with it. People seem to dig it. You know, it seems to be ticking their boxes. Um, I don't know if that's just because when you buy stuff, you know, you can never see the limitations of it because you've just spent money on it so you're proud of your purchase. It's the opposite of buyer's remorse. Or is that what buyer's remorse is? I never really know. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but I mean, I think you're, I think you're right there. But, but I, um... yeah, I, I hope it's not the case, but it is messy. And it's messy for developers as well. Like, you're having to develop two versions where on PlayStation 5 you only have to optimise it for PlayStation 5. It's bound to cause some drama down the line. Yeah, I think that uh, Sony has done this better by cutting £100 off the console with a discless uh, digital edition. Yeah. Um, that's a better solution in terms of making the price point accessible, I think. But um, yeah, I think that uh, the Series S still has merit as a kind of like a Game Pass machine. So you do, if you do just see it as, okay, what is the easiest way for me to get access to play these games that Microsoft will eventually um, release? on their next gen consoles then that's a good way to do it um yeah you know it'll be a way you could play elder scrolls 6 i mean that actually that might miss this generation who knows but um <laughs> it's a way you can play uh, starfield uh for 250 pounds and it's like i, I kind of get that uh, yeah that's appeal. yeah that's that's that, that's certain and 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 the um the the whole thing with the the sort of paying installments is is very palatable and smart you know the idea is that in two years when you've paid off this console and maybe there's, a, you know, a price cut for Series X, or there's another iteration of Series X, perhaps. Uh, you've got this machine to trade in, and you've just paid it off comfortably, and it's yours to sort of sell on. I mean, when we interviewed, um, I think we interviewed Phil Spencer um, on in when I was working on OXM um, in about 2015, and a lot of the chat then was about like mobile phone model the sort of mobile phone model being desirable to them where they were like you know you spend 300 quid on a new phone every two years you trade your old model for a new model like that's a much better model for us it's almost like pc light you know it's we'll get you to upgrade you know you won't be upgrading every seven years you'll be upgrading every two or three years but you'll have like a range of models and if you buy the cheaper one you accept it won't perform as well as the data and it was a weird little thing that they said in this one interview and uh, interviews at that time and then never seemed to repeat um but that to me feels like completely at the heart of what they're doing now like they're trying to treat it even the pay in installments you know, that is how you buy and deal with mobile phones. They want you to think of consoles as more disposable than they are. Uh, and I think they want to do that because they want to hit you with more consoles sooner, um, where PlayStation doesn't, I don't think. Yeah, and hence the uh, continuity between like stuff like the UI. Like yeah, absolutely, about. yeah. So yeah, yeah. It, do- it does feel like you've, you know, you've just switched on the more powerful version of the thing you already own. Yeah. And that's, de- that's by design, you know. Um, yeah, it's about getting you in their ecosystem with Microsoft. That's what they're all about. Mm. Um, okay, yeah, so uh, I, I agree with you. I don't think either of them are going to really mess up this generation. Like, I'm not not sure about the Series S yet. I think it will sell very well. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, I'm i not sure how I feel about it exactly. Um, I might feel better about a model of it that's got, like, a terabyte hard drive or SSD um, that comes out later on, costs about the same, but obviously has that extra storage capacity, so a bit more usable. Um, mm. But um, I think Microsoft will have. I think Microsoft's going through a similar pattern to Sony last generation, where it's got like big designs on like 
releasing a slew of exclusive blockbusters, but it's going to take a little while to get them done. So the second half of this generation, I think, will be really good for them um, when uh, all of these big acquisitions start paying off for them. Whereas Sony, I think, um, has kind of demonstrated that it's already got stuff ready to go. Um, and probably more games we don't know about, um, a long-rumoured um, Silent Hill uh, reboot, for example. That's, I've heard about that from a, enough like different sources on the internet where it, it seems like more than just smoke, you know? Mm. Um, so I think they've got some big stuff planned. Um, but yeah, the, the last thing I wanted to ask about on the subject, Matthew, was why are console wars so nice now? Because um, <laughs> this is another thing, like uh, brands congratulating each other on Twitter on launches and stuff is all kind of like, I feel like it exists because they want to counter the toxic kind of like discussions yeah. between these fan bases but it's still i still kind of find myself being like eh it's it's a bit like uh, there's there's less drama to it than having ludicrous stuff like peter moore with his gta tattoo yeah um, i like i like the idea of these people who are like fighting for you as as a fan of their brand you know i like the idea that you've paid all this money for this console and i want some like real kind of sort of brawlers in my corner making sure my console's treated best right and this whole talk of also so much of it is like i feel xbox are a lot nicer to playstation because they're like the underdog right i don't think they would be if they were in number one position and i don't think they should be if they were in number one position like i would gloat something rotten um and that would be absolutely fine i think it's okay to like throw throw your weight around a bit if anything, I think PlayStation are a lot cooler to to Xbox, um, and it kind of I don't know it like when you have someone who is unsuccessful compared to someone else, and they're like you know praising them or whatever. It just it sort of smacks of the kind of well, like how I was in school where where you know there were people who were much cooler than me, and you'd sort of suck up to them so that you are like within their sort of sphere of influence you know you want to be acknowledged by someone who's bigger you know and better um <laughs> regardless of whether or not you think you are you know you know it's it, but you you don't want to i don't know it's it's a little it's it's a, it's a little bit kind of uh, uh sort of naff sort of naff and sort of saccharine and you know, I, I, I'd, I'd rather everyone was a bit more bullish. I know that's like kind of goes against the grain a little bit in terms of what people want. You know, the, everything is so sour these days. Why introduced more sourness? But I also miss the days of like just maniacs trying to kind of outdo each other and being boastful and like as a fan of something. And maybe it's just because now people are, you know, you get the feeling there are people who own more than one console is a bit more of a regular thing now mm. for whatever reason um and so there's less need for it but back in the day you know i in the console wars kind of partially existed because you only had one and you know there was a lot of sort of tribal behavior around that and you wanted the most uh you know you wanted the heads of that tribe to really be kind of pulling for you but phil spencer's just, he's just very soft on that front i'd love for him to be a bit more obnoxious with it so yeah I bet they are behind the scenes well, I mean, yeah, it's a, it is a competition ultimately. Like, yeah. they, like despite what they say, they are fighting the same battle. Um, and I know they have different goals in terms of 
you know, Microsoft said they're measuring like users, I think, overall rather than hardware sales now. But they are like it's the same audience they're targeting. It's the same games in most cases. It's like, um, yeah, I just it doesn't it doesn't do much for me. Um, and I think there was like one Xbox UK tweet that was taken down about like turning a console on its side or something, and like. <laughs> The idea that <laughs> too it's, spicy. Exa- the, yeah, exactly. The idea that like a tweet that was probably approved by like three brand managers anyway <laughs> is like I uh, know that is crossing the line, sir. I mean, <laughs> uh, how dare you make fun of what a console looks like when it's turned on its side? Like, I mean, yeah, God, it's kind of embarrassing, really. Um, yeah, but yeah. like, but I think buying Bethesda is like. That's 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 the kind of big obnoxious move I get excited about. <laughs> I think the buzz around that was because people were feeling for the first time in a long time like, oh yeah, that's what it used to be like. Yeah, you know that this is this is this is obnoxious in a way that I kind of like. This and yeah, it's like, <laughs> I want like rare. more of that. <laughs> it's like Microsoft buying Rare um, before the um, uh, that generation started. Like yeah. that didn't quite pay off for a. Well, immediately for quite a while a while it didn't quite yeah. pay off for them but it was a big move to say we've just taken nintendo's you know arguably most Im- second most important developer away from them um it's a similar thing isn't it of like the timing of the announcement was very specific um, yeah it was designed to cause that kind of upset and yeah is microsoft throwing its weight around and why wouldn't it you know it's a corporation with billions of dollars like, yeah i mean yeah. that's i there's there's got to be you know because they keep saying like well we're still looking out for more acquisitions like there's got to be bigger scalps and things but maybe maybe we should save that for a future episode yes that would definitely be a good talking point. dream obnoxious plays in which case then matthew to um to take us out my last question to you is um which console had the best launch lineup in our lifetimes um as we're talking about console launches i did a bit of research beforehand on this i'm sure you did too yeah uh what did you go with I feel like I feel like it's wrong. I uh, are you going with like the head or the heart? Um, I'm I'm definitely I'm going with the head. I would say, but there's a bit of heart in there. But I think that uh, I did, I yeah, it's head head. Are you? Uh, don't say we you. <laughs> no, no. Though actually, I don't think we. I, the one thing I would say from doing this research is a lot of launch lineups are weaker than I remembered them. Yeah. Um, I don't know if just the excitement or nostalgia played into that, but there's a lot of stuff. And there's very few, which I think the best ones are like, they maybe have at tops four or five great games. Everything else is terrible. Yes, I agree Uh, with that. It's all a little bit like, you know, one great game and cell damage, uh, (laughs) which seemed to be a launch game for a lot of things. Um, It varied as well, depending on... Like whether you're talking about like Europe launch, that tends to be a lot better than the original Japanese launch for some of these consoles as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I oh god, I feel, <laughs> I'm looking at my thing. I think I think I've I think this is actually a terrible nostalgic heart pick. Go for it. Um, I was really torn between the Wii and the GameCube. Right, so I had GameCube in my like top three. Um, uh, I. I think GameCube lacks a knockout punch, but I think the strength of Luigi's Mansion, Star Wars Rogue Squadron 2, Super Monkey Ball, Rave Race Blue Storm, and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, even three, even though a little old by the time GameCube came out, I think that's pretty strong. Yeah. I think Star Wars Rogue Squadron 2, Rogue Leader, is like a surprisingly heavy hitter launch game in terms of like 
the sh- when I think of games that showed the sheer oomph of a console and felt like a jump, that that is one of my go-to memories. Yes, absolutely. And that game still looks amazing now. It does. It um, does. And it really like that. That was that's that's a dream launch game. It's totally cutting edge, and you can show it to your friends, and they're just instantly jealous. And that that's what it's about. Um, yeah, the, the GameCube launch lineup is so good that I looked at it on paper, thought about the fact that the console cost like £129, <laughs> and was like, why did this lose the yeah. generation? And then it hit me like, because they didn't have GTA. That's why. They didn't have GTA. Yeah. And GTA was the the hot shit that generation and it was the it, it was that exact year that gta 3 came out the gamecube launched in the in the us and japan and like yeah that's what it didn't have it didn't have gta you know yeah but so i i, I was torn between that and the wii which like twilight princess while on gamecube yes i think is a really great launch game um i think the i think wii sports as a pack-in is like just the definitive thing, you know, it defined that console. Mm. I remember everyone being so excited for it. I really like Wii Sports as well. I think I think it's genuinely a, a really great game. And Astro's Playroom really got me thinking about the value of a pack-in. The idea of buying it—you just have to buy the console and you can play it. I yeah. really like that. That that carries a lot of weight with me. Yeah, same. Would I say the Wii because of that? Probably. It's so close between Wii and GameCube. Uh, I'm I'm going to say the Wii because I think Wii Sports is probably like the definitive launch game, but uh, I don't know. Maybe that's wet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, I, so. I agree with you about packing actually, and like I think about even though there won't be probably very few children getting a PS5 for Christmas this year because uh, a it costs so much money uh, and b um, there are no units available so and c it, parents are scared it might fall on them and crush their <laughs> childish bones it would kill like m- most toddlers i think it's an unsightly sort of sci-fi prop um yeah. of a console lots of holes for a kid to stick red sticks in <laughs> breadsticks specifically yeah <laughs> just a port and bongo into um <laughs> so yeah i um i i, I think that i while i can't envision that I, the idea that a kid would turn on um the ps5 play astro's playroom and be like they would just react as wow this is something amazing i have in my hands right here and it's something that comes with the console i agree is a very powerful um powerful launch offering yeah um, so i don't think you're wrong there for putting um the Wii down um, those are two those are two are very good examples there um, and, and like a much stronger lineup I would say than the Switch which had Breath of the Wild obviously like one of the greatest games ever made but nothing else really um, yeah and that's that's the thing with a lot of these launch line a lot of Nintendo launch lineups have like one of the greatest games ever made within it but then outside and you're like is that enough like is it enough just to have Mario 64 I don't know yeah I, the N64 I think I'd say is like uh, one of the worst in terms of quantity I think I agree with you the, the GameCube spread is really good there you've got lots of like eight out of ten kind of games yeah um yeah and also i think the so my choice is the original xbox right um now i think that was probably you were probably like deliberating that a little bit you discussed there there was a lot of crap in there like fusion frenzy and cell damage and those (laughs) kinds of games but i think both the original xbox and the gamecube benefited from basically arriving two years late to the generation i mean three years if you count the um dreamcast as well um and so you know at that point you are getting some of the best games of the generation like tony hawk's pro skater 3 uh, and stuff like that so 
I think the original Xbox, because if you just take the North American launch, you've got Halo, obviously, one of the best launch games ever made, if not the best launch game ever made, um, in terms of saying what the console is about, that kind of PC uh, mentality filtering down onto consoles, which kind of like, you know, is sort of um, a canary in the coal mine on Xbox Live becoming like the the biggest driving force of uh, the Xbox brand. and then, uh, yeah, you have uh, Oddworld Munch's Odyssey, like uh, quite an, an offbeat um, but very uh, acclaimed kind of like a comedy platformer puzzle game. Um, Dead or Alive 3, uh, back when Dead or Alive wasn't really embarrassing. Um, I think it was embarrassing. I just think that, <laughs> I, I just think that we People took we it more seriously. We weren't like shaming ourselves as a, as a people of Earth. It did have, you know, it did have the same like TNA nonsense in it for sure. But I think um, I, th- I think people just kind of liked that series more then, and it was a, I recall it being a pretty good fighting game, um, quite a good sort of tag team uh, <laughs> fighting game to play with friends. Uh, then you had um, Project Gotham Racing as well, a very strong series, very strong, yeah, yeah. And then um, there's some slightly unusual uh, ones like they had like a Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2X, which was like uh, kind of like a compilation of the first two games with uh, nicer graphics. Mm. But when you throw in the European launch as well. You also get uh, Jet Set Radio Future, uh, phenomenally um, uh, good uh, sort of sequel that has been lost to time, sadly, um, allegedly because of music rights lapsing, but a really good kind of like uh, roller skating kind of um, graffiti, uh, cel-shaded game, looked amazing for the time. Um, You also get Amped, the snowboarding game, and you also get uh, Max Payne, and it was the best console version of Max Payne. It didn't run very well on PS2, Mm. um, but the Xbox One was like fantastic. Um, a really strong lineup, I think. Yeah, that is str- yeah. There's a lot of games there that keep you busy for the those sort of fallow months that always occur at the start. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'd say like this generation are just, uh, and I think I think PS5's got like a, a decent little slew of games there. But um, that I think um, that was the one for me where I was like, well, that's an amazing. You got Halo at the center of it. You've got that. 10 out of 10, everyone yeah. needs to play this game. And then a bunch of other stuff that's worth checking out too. Um, yeah, it's weird because I have seen some people say of PlayStation 5, like, this is an all-timer launch. And I, I don't really agree with that. It is for Sony, just not generally, I would yeah, say. Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, I just it, that's, that's, a, that's sugarcoating it a, a little. But, mm. you know, when you're up against zero launch from Xbox, I guess that's easier to do absolutely well then uh, uh matthew that we're going to wrap up there uh we've talked about uh yammered on about consoles we threw in some anecdotes from our uh, tedious professional lives um <laughs> to give it a bit of color and uh <laughs> yeah that's basically it that's basically what, what what we aim for this podcast to be the founding idea of this podcast yeah like um uh, sort of uh, trojan horse people in with an interesting idea then uh, wank on about a load of stuff that happened 15 years ago yes that's, uh, yeah that's our usp um <laughs> no uh, so uh, thank you very much for listening uh, we'll be back uh, next week with another episode i won't say exactly what it is in case we change our minds before we record it um but it's going to be um it's a quite a cool subject about uh, something related to uh to games that we we played in our professional capacity so um we're going to mix it up with uh, some topical stuff and some kind of like 
nostalgia retro stuff i guess um Ooh. but it's it's going to be like a feature-led podcast so there will always be like a big subject at the center of it and then um a bunch of other uh, sort of discussion points that, that come off of that um so yeah hopefully that uh that appeals to you uh, <laughs> <laughs> i hope so i hope they made it to this bit where we tell them what the podcast is <laughs> yeah i just didn't want i didn't want people to wait 15 minutes till we started talking about ps5 or whatever um so i thought yeah we'll talk we'll explain what it is after it's over um we've actually got a twitter feed um uh at Backpage Pod, you can follow us on there. Uh, we'll tweet when new episodes um, appear. Um, that's probably going to be it for the Twitter feed for now until we hire a community manager. Uh, <laughs> which I'm sure we're, we're, as soon as the sponsorship starts rolling in, we'll be doing we that. We are I'm available sure. for sponsorships. <laughs> and uh, uh, Rennie, if you're if you're listening, I uh, I use your products a lot, and I will talk about them in a very honest way. <laughs> We've also got an email if you want to send us any correspondence. Um, I wish I'd made it line up with Backpage Pod now, but it's actually Backpage Game at gmail.com oh. so back page game sounds a bit seedy <laughs> yeah it does a bit it does a bit filthy isn't it um yeah actually should we explain what the back page is as like a name <laughs> if you have to explain the name i don't does that is that like a, a failure of sorts i don't know i suppose we've already mentioned the print media thing um so people who read um <laughs> red games magazines tend to know what the back page uh will entail uh, when you pick one of those up so uh, I won't explain it in tedious detail I just say thank you very much for listening and uh, yeah we'll be back again next week <laughs> <laughs>